subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Tuesday, January 12th, 2015. Today, we're very excited to share the news about the One Cure Initiative, led by Colorado State University's Flint Animal Cancer Center. This effort to end cancer in people and pets is a collaboration between scientists and doctors who are working with both people and animals. At the core of this program are various clinical trials aimed to discover promising treatments for all cancer patients. Joining us today are Drs. Christine Hardy and Kristen Weishar from CSU's School of Veterinary Sciences to tell us more about One Cure and how you can help the cause to eradicate cancer. Welcome to the show, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having us on. Hi, thank you, doctors. This is Renee here. We're so excited to get started. Um, This is a a really important topic for us in our community, so thanks for being here. Well, thank you very much for the invitation to be a part of it. You bet, you bet. So let's jump right in. Um, Dr. Hardy, tell us uh, a bit about One Cure. Um, What is this initiative all about? We uh, we wrote about it back in November in our Tripods News blog, but I'd love to hear it straight from you so we can um, get a better understanding. Yeah, sure. So uh, One Cure is an initiative that was founded a couple of years ago. Actually, we were inspired to start this from a client who recognized the value in um, really what we learn in pets can help people with cancer and vice versa. So the idea that cancer really is one disease and what we learn in one species can help other species. So it's, a, it's uh-huh. a, an initiative founded on the principle that since cancer affects all creatures and that treatment breakthroughs come through collaborations between science, scientists and doctors who are working with both people and animals, that's where the power really is. Um, you know, they... Our pets may be our best friends for many reasons, and as uh, one person uh, very very nicely stated, the answer is maybe walking right beside us. Oh, or or snoozing right beside me, like my my dog Wyatt here. <laughs> That's right, right, or or resting on your lap if you happen to have a cat. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and we'll talk about uh, cats and, and dogs in a minute. So. So what you're, you're explaining is that veterinarians and um, medical doctors for people are actually working together on this initiative. Is it, is it just in Colorado or is it around the country? Where exactly is all this taking place? Yeah, sure. So I would say medical doctors, veterinarians, and also Ph.D. scientists who study the basic mechanisms of cancer biology. Really, it's, it's bringing together clinicians and bench top scientists together to work towards a cure for cancer 
And you know, while this is the founding principle of the Flint Animal Cancer Center, this is work that's happening all across the United States with some groups that we partner with, and um, there are some folks who are working on this in other countries as well. Oh wow, that's exciting! What um, what countries do you know offhand? Uh, sure, actually, we uh, we've helped to train a number of folks in other countries who are veterinary oncologists and. Um, some of our gra the graduates of our specialty training programs are in Australia, in the UK, um, and other places around the world. That's exciting. That because, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that there are lots of people who who are recognizing this concept of what we coin translational or comparative oncology. You know, for short, we call it one cure. Uh, but there are lots of other people who have recognized the value in this, and so work is happening other places around the world, even with people that we don't have direct partnerships with. That's, that is so awesome to hear. Um, the Tripods community is, is worldwide. We have members all over the place. So um, this is really exciting that it's not just happening in the U.S. Um, and, and this kind of work that is happening, I, I take it you're, you're talking about clinical trials. Um, can you tell us, uh, Dr. Hardy, what exactly are clinical trials? They sound so daunting at first um, when you just uh, get introduced to cancer treatments and therapies and things like that. And tell us a little about clinical trials. Who starts them and why? And um, are they, are, do they only happen at uh, veterinary teaching hospitals or do private vet clinics um, do them as well? Yeah, those are all really great questions. So. Let's let's kind of start at the beginning with what, what are clinical trials, and they are research studies that are used in all specialties of medicine, and by the way, this is in veterinary medicine and in human medicine as well, and the idea is to evaluate new types of treatment, sometimes new diagnostics for lots of different diseases. Here at the Flint Animal Cancer Center, we obviously focus on cancer. Um, these trials are a vital component of research because they allow us to try out new treatments or procedures, um, sometimes uh, new diagnostic tests, you know, with the idea that if we can get to a diagnosis earlier, hopefully we have more treatment options. And uh -huh. the idea is that, you know, if we can get to a diagnosis earlier or we can find more effective treatments or ones that have less side effects, in the end that benefits the patient. Um, That's important. really cool. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's important also to note that when we offer clinical trials, uh, which by the way, yes, most places that offer these are academic institutions. However, there are clinical trials that are available in private practices as well. So if you have participants or members who are interested, you know, they can come to our website and learn about clinical trials. They can also ask their veterinarian, uh, who hopefully can uh, refer them to a, a clinical trial center that's relatively close to them. Uh, but I also wanted to just note that when we offer clinical trials, we offer standard of care treatment options for whatever the type of cancer is, plus or minus something new. Um, and we always focus on uh, quality of life for the patient. Dr. Weishar will certainly talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but, you know, our focus is always on the quality of life of the patient and making certain that the client is comfortable with the decisions. And so our team really partners with the owners uh, all through the, the trial. And sometimes the decision is made to take the, the animal off of a trial and, and switch to a different type of therapy if they feel like that's the best thing for the animal. 
Right. I think that's really important to convey to people um, because, I, you know, when you're when you're getting introduced to this whole concept, um, you tend to think that these clinical trials are just, you know, only only about the drug or the treatment or the the test, and and that's that's what the goal is. But really, the goal is to help the animal, right, and to help the animal live a better life during cancer. Yeah, sure. So that actually bridges nicely into your second question, which was who starts these trials. Um, yes. And why? Um, so these are typically started by um, by scientists. Sometimes they have an industry sponsor. So a company may come up with a new a new treatment, and they need to you know they've gone through all the safety testing, and they need to try it in animals that actually have the disease to see if it improves the outcome. So please know that there's lots of testing that happens before it actually is offered to clinical patients. Um, but the goal is ultimately to work towards a cure for cancer. And in an effort to reach that goal, we have to ask a lot of smaller questions along the way. So the scientists and the clinicians who conduct these studies aim to get to answers faster, more precisely, less invasively for the patient, and the goal is to improve outcomes and quality of life during treatment. And the good news is we're making progress. You know, if we look at all cancers, we can now manage about... 50% of them, uh, sometimes we can cure them, uh, but obviously 50% wow. is not good enough. And so through trials, we hope someday to be able to say that all cancers can be managed and ultimately cured. And it's also important to say that we're obviously focusing on the, on the care of veterinary patients, but oftentimes these are treatments or diagnostics that are destined for the human market. And so, you know, the ultimate goal is to really benefit all cancer patients, including humans. That is so awesome. I just I find it so hopeful that you you would even say the word cure when referring to to clinical trials because that just gives so much hope. That is that is just wonderful. Um, I'm I'm really curious um, how and and I know this um, I'm just throwing this out there and I apologize, but how how do the tests and drugs get selected when um, say uh, Colorado State decides on uh, on one clinical trial with one drug or when when test or, or diagnostic. Um, who decides that? Does it go in front of a panel? You know, that's a great question. I'm actually going to uh, refer that to Dr. Weitar, who directs our clinical trials program here at the Flint Animal Cancer Center. That, Hi, that would be great. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Dr. Weitar. Hi. <laughs> Um, so, you know, that's a great question. It's really kind of variable. So um, generally what happens, you know, if a drug company has um, found a new compound or a new drug that they've tested in the laboratory, usually that starts with tests on cancer cell lines. So just, you know, putting the drug on a different type, multiple different types of cancer cell lines and seeing if it has the effect that we're looking for, whether that's to slow, to slow down the growth or to actually kill those cancer cells. And then if we see if they see that benefit, they might move to studies in rodents, so like mice or rats, where they have sort of um, implanted tumors, and then they might give that treatment to the mice and rats and see if it helps um, to treat the disease in those guys. And if they're seeing a benefit there, then oftentimes they'll move to either um, larger species, such as you know research dogs, or potentially depending on um, you know the benefit they're seeing actually. Um, straight into the clinic. And so um, a drug company might come to one of our investigators here and say, you know, hey, we have this drug. We like to put it into dogs. Is this something we can, you can help us with? And so that's kind of the, you know, the short version of how that all comes to fruition. 
Well, you explained that so well and so quickly. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks. And um, Renee, well, um, this is Dr. Hardy. I just wanted to jump in because I suspect that some of your listeners may have questions about, you know, gosh, they have to try this sometimes in normal dogs first. And I'd like to just address that directly. You know, that's that's part of what we consider to be the research continuum. And, and I'll kind of frame that from the standpoint of, you know, if I take my veterinarian hat off and I put my owner hat on, and I have had a dog treated with cancer, in fact, relatively recently, and, you know, any treatment that I would want to have for my own pet, I would want to know that there is um, some work that's been done to know, gosh, what is a safe dose to give, um, you know, how, what, are the, what are the potential side effects, what do we look for, et cetera. And so that's, that's part of the due diligence that happens before these, before these new treatments are offered to patients that actually have cancer. And uh, so, you know, we, we owe a large debt of gratitude to some, some animals before these treatments are offered in the clinic. Absolutely. Thank you for, for chiming in with that. That is so important for all of us to know. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um so Dr. Dr. Weishar, um can you give us some examples of successful uh clinical trial treatments that that you've um worked worked on or that that um, both of you have worked on for for both pets and people? Um we love to hear success stories and um if you have any to share, um we we'd appreciate it today. Sure, absolutely. So um, you know, as we've kind of touched upon, any new treatment that's developed for people or animals with cancer needs to go through rigorous testing, and that's usually through clinical trials prior to becoming commercially available. And um, most of the new drugs that are become, becoming available for cancer treatment, both in peop- mostly in people but also in animals as well, are what are considered targeted therapies, which means that they're designed to specifically attack cancer cells and thus can spare the more normal or non-cancerous cells, which results um, secondarily in fewer side effects for the patient. Um, In addition, a treatment plan can be designed based on a patient's individual tumor characteristics, so making making for a more personalized approach to treatment and potentially uh, more benefit for the patient. Um, and this is very different from the older, more standard chemotherapy drugs, which work, work by killing all rapidly dividing cells. So that includes uh-huh. the cancer cells, but a lot of many normal si- cells as well, which leads to significant side effects for the patient. And so these targeted therapies often wor- work best against a certain type of cancer, depending on you know what specifically they target and not necessarily on all cancers in general. So clinical trials are needed to determine sort of what patients are most likely to respond to these types of drugs. Um, and how best to administer them. Now, when we when we treat cancer in pets, we're mostly using the older non-targeted drugs that are used to treat people with cancer. Um, but we've recently had um, a very important advancement in the treatment of, an- of cancer in anim- animals, which was the development of the first anti-cancer drug approved specifically for use in dogs with cancer. And this drug is actually one of the more targeted drugs. Um, And this is an oral medication, which is called Palladia, and it was approved by Uh the FDA in 2009 to be used in dogs with a type of cancer called mast cell tumors. And clinical trials were very important in the development of this drug. They were used very early in the stages of the drug to determine um, appropriate dosages to give to dogs with cancer, as well as what sort of side effects are associated with the treatment. 
And then in later stages, as the drug kind of went through development, um, the clinical trials were used to determine the benefit of this drug in dogs with mast cell tumors compared to a placebo treatment or basically um, sort of not receiving any specific treatment for the medication. And since the drug has been approved, there have also been a number of clinical trials conducted looking at the combination of this drug, Palladia, with other chemotherapy treatments or radiation treatments, so looking at the combination to see what sort of benefit we can have besides the, just the drug by itself. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned Palladia because we have, uh, we're seeing more and more members whose uh, veterinary oncologists are recommending it. Um, for their treatments, and we're seeing it in, in other cancers besides uh, mast cell. Um, what other cancers are, are is it being used for right now? Um, it's really variable and depends on the location. Um, there certainly have been reports, sort of anecdotal reports of um, benefits in other tumor types. Um, we know that based on the sort of the tumor markers that this drug targets, uh, it, it can be definitely very effective against mast cell tumors, but certainly potentially effective against other tumor types as well. So it's pretty common for us to, um, you know, to try this drug with pretty much almost any type of cancer. You know, we will tend to go with the more standard of care sort of known options first, and if we're not seeing response uh -huh. with that, that might be something that we consider to use. And since the drug is fully approved, we're able to use it sort of in an off-label sense and not just for dogs oh. with mast cell tumors and in combination with other treatments. So, um, and there's actually, we had a, um, a paper that was uh, published out of um, the CSU Animal Cancer Center. Again, it was for dogs with mast cell tumors, but combining um, palladia with um, a radiation treatment and seeing um, much better successes than just with palladia or radiation alone. So that was a pretty big, um, pretty great discovery on our end, and we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, you definitely have reason to be. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to see that, that this is out there. And, um, you know, we see dogs with side effects, um, and we see dogs without side effects from it. And I guess there's really no way to predict, really, which dogs are going to have that happen until they actually try it. Is that is that true? Yeah, and it's really that way with um, any of our cancer treatments, certainly as far as, you know, older chemotherapy drugs as well as the targeted therapies. Um, certainly some of these targeted therapies, if they're um, a little more broad spectrum and that they have a, a lot of different targets, they can potentially um, affect some of the more normal cells as well. And um, oh. as same as the high-dose chemotherapy, you know, we'll certainly see some dogs that do great throughout treatment and never have any side effects and then some that can um, get a, a bit more um, toxicity from it and need breaks from the treatment and decreases in doses and things like that. So it's very dog-specific, and, you know, we can warn owners about the potential side effects and, you know, try to get them prepared for what they may see, but we really can't predict how their specific animal is going to react to the treatment. Uh -huh. And so it's, it's my understanding um, in, in listening today that uh, targeted therapies are something that are still mostly in the clinical trials arena or are more um, private practice vets using targeted therapies like Palladia. Is that, is, is that just a, a very small window of treatments that are out there right now or there, is, it, is it getting bigger every year? Yeah, so right now Palladia is the only targeted therapy approved for use in animals with cancer. Um, and okay. I think, 
I believe it is being used in, you know, the private practice setting. It sort of depends on the comfort of the veterinarians um, with the treatment as to whether or not they use it. It's certainly available to them if they want to use it. Um, and uh -huh. certainly as far as other targeted therapies, most of those are um, in the clinical trial stage right now and working on um, determining benefit and, and potentially uh, working towards FDA approval. Okay, and so if, if people want to do look at targeted therapies, then they go someplace great like CSU and enroll in a clinical trial, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Depends on the types of clinical <laughs> trials that are available, but, um, you know, that's definitely something that we, we think is, you know, sort of the future of cancer treatment in animals as it's already made such a uh, big impact in people with cancer. Yeah, definitely. Hey, this is Dr. Hardy. I wondered if I could just jump in real quick and, um, and Please. Yeah. I know so many of your listeners are folks who are many different locations around the country and perhaps outside of the United States. The other thing that's important to note is that a number of these clinical trials, sure they're offered here at CSU, but we work in partnership with a bunch of other groups and uh -huh. one of them is called the COTC, or the Clinical Oncology Trials Consortium, and that is actually overseen by the National Cancer Institute, uh, specifically in a, a group that oversees comparative oncology uh, trials. And so it's a common protocol. It's basically one trial that's administered at the national level, and then there are multiple different locations, typically all veterinary academic institutions. And so oftentimes these trials are available lots of different places across the country. And the idea being that if you, you know, it takes all of us working together really to move things forward, but, you know, if we have one protocol and it's offered at 15 locations across the country, then, you know, we can enroll patients faster, we can get data quicker, we can get results quicker, and hopefully then understand what we've learned to take either the next step or to know whatever the change or the benefit is that we've learned from that trial. So, you know, the idea is to move things along as quickly as possible. So, you know, certainly we welcome anyone to come here. About 80% of the patients that come here to CSU are from Colorado and in, in the Intermountain West. But believe it or uh -huh. not, about 20% of our patients come from all over the United States. And we have a handful of folks that come from outside of the U.S. every year. Um, but you don't have to travel here to participate in the clinical trial. I'd encourage folks to look at either the, the closest veterinary academic, uh, you know, the, the closest vet school to where somebody lives, or to check out uh -huh. private specialty clinics that may also offer clinical trials. Is there a, a website that people can go to for this um, consortium or um, to find a, a whole list of clinical trials? Um, this is Dr. Weishar. So, um, sure. yeah, you know, um, just to go to a question that we had talked about later, you know, where do people go if they want to participate? So really, like yeah. Dr. Hart mentioned, the best resources for finding out availability of clinical trials um, would be your, your physician, either your human um, physician or your uh, veterinarian, um, to see if they know of ones in the area. But also there are a lot of clinical trials available that your vet just may not be aware of. And so uh -huh. um, really one of your best resources can be the Internet. And as doctors, we often discourage our patients from, <laughs> from using the Internet to learn about their disease or possible treatments. You know, we, we try, to, try to 
try to stay away from Dr. Google, um, but the Internet mm -hmm. is actually a really great resource for finding clinical trials. So there's um, a human clinical trials database online at the website www.clinicaltrials.gov. And with that uh, website, you can actually search for currently available trials all over the country based on um, the diagnosis that you have as well as your location. And while we don't quite have this type of um, database available as readily in veterinary oncology, there is a, a central website that has um, some of this information about clinical trials available at a number of locations. Um, and this uh -huh. website is www.vetcancertrials.org. Um, and it tends to be, um, you know, relatively comprehensive and up-to-date. But um, in addition, many institutions will have information on their individual websites about clinical trials that are available. Um, for example, on our Flint Animal Cancer Center website, we have a section that is dedicated to the clinical trial service and has information about all of our currently enrolling clinical trials. And so you can go there and um, you know, look up the type of cancer that your pet has and see if um, we currently have anything available. Um, and you can always, you know, call and speak to us as well um, to see if we can give you more information about it. Thank you for that information. We're definitely going to um, mention these, these links when we uh, write about this discussion today. Um, yeah, it would be great to have, like, a central area where we can go for um, veterinary cancer trials because um, I know that, you know, just looking at different universities' uh, clinical trials information, it's kind of all, it, there's a lot of it. It's so overwhelming, and just to be able to point to one database where people can go to would be really helpful. Um, Dr. Weizar, can you uh, tell us now, so say somebody um, is thinking about doing a clinical trial um, and, and they have a vet who, who wants to participate or they're actually going to a, a university teaching hospital, um, how will their uh, animal benefit, and how would a person down the road um, benefit? And, and can cats, here's my second part of the question, can cats participate too? <laughs> yeah, those are great questions. And so, um, you know, I would say the, the main benefit and sort of what interests people most about participating in clinical trials for both people and animals is the opportunity to receive a treatment that is not commercially available, so that most patients aren't available to have, and to, ha and to try a treatment that could possibly work as well or even better than the standard treatments that are used. And so, you know, the chance of the success of the treatment is going to depend on how far along the drug is in the development process, and it's certainly the responses vary among the patients. Um, and it's a little bit different in human medicine versus veterinary medicine. So in humans with cancer, clinical trials are sort of used after the patient has failed all the standard treatments, and so they wanted to try something new. But this isn't always the case in, in veterinary medicine for a number of reasons. So, um, you know, pet owners may decide that they um, don't want to pursue standard treatments like chemotherapy for their pet for whatever reason. So clinical trials can provide an opportunity to pursue a novel therapy for their pet's disease um, just to try something different. Um, and they can always provide uh, – they can also provide an um, – uh, some financial incentive associated with the trial. So, um, you know, one of the big differences between human and veterinary medicine is, is insurance. And so most pet owners are paying out of the pocket for their pet's cancer treatment. And for some people, that's just not feasible. Um, and so veterinary clinical trials often pay for a portion or all of the costs associated with the treatment in the trial, including diagnostics and the treatment itself. 
And in addition, we often have a financial incentive um, that the owners will receive once the pet completes the clinical trial, which is usually in the form of a credit to the hospital that can be put towards additional treatment for their pet. Um, so that's often very, um, you know, intriguing for owners as an option. Yeah. Um, and certainly another benefit of clinical trial enrollment for both people and pet owners is knowing that they're contributing to research that will potentially benefit animals and or people with cancer in the future. Um, as we talked about, the types of cancer that we see in dogs are often very similar to those seen in people. So, you know, finding new treatments for animals with cancer can eventually lead to treatment breakthroughs for people with cancer. So it's, you know, a, a great opportunity for everyone involved. Um, and as far as you can... Yeah, as far as who can participate in clinical trials, it really depends on the clinical trials that are available at that time and at that institution. Um, here at the Animal Cancer Center, the majority of our clinical trials are for dogs with cancer, although we certainly have had clinical trials for cats as well. So it really just depends on, you know, what our researchers are looking at that uh, at, at that time. And some clinical trials are for animals with a very specific type of cancer, and others are more generalized and will allow animals with a variety of different tumor types to enroll. So it really depends on the institution. Okay, okay, well that, that's really great to know because we do have quite a few tripod cat members in our community, so they'll be very happy to hear that. This isn't just about dogs. Um, definitely Dr. not. Hart <laughs> um, yeah, Dr. Hardy, um, I, getting back over to you, um, I would love to hear more about um, how One Cure helped to organize a very important meeting at the national level over at the Institute of Medicine in, in Washington, D.C., I, I believe. Um, can you tell us more about the significance of the event for uh, cancer patients and, and treatment as a whole? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, first Thank of all, you. major kudos to uh, Dr. Rod Page, who is our director here at the Flint Animal Cancer Center. This was really his brainchild, and he helped to lead this effort. Um, so, we were fortunate enough to be approved to hold a workshop called The Role of Clinical Trials for Pets with Naturally Occurring Tumors in Translational Cancer Research. And the goal of this workshop was actually to bring together folks from all different um, areas of research and the general public, believe it or not. Uh, so there were physicians, wow. veterinarians, researchers, people who worked for the government, people who worked for industry, people who worked for academic institutions, private practices, and there were some folks who uh, you know, were really just interested in the topic who attended. Um, to be able to put one of these things on, you have to, A, have a good idea. The Institute of Medicine uh -huh of the uh, National Academies of Science, which, by the way, since we held this, has been now renamed the National Academy of Medicine. So if anybody is searching, they may have a hard time oh, okay. finding it, but that, that's, that's just a name change at the, at the national level. Anyway, you have to have a good idea. It has to be approved by the National Academies, and then you have to have other people who think it's also a good idea and are willing to actually put some financial backing behind it. We were fortunate uh -huh. enough to have about 20 different groups come forward, and we raised a little over $200,000 to be able to put this on. And this wow. was held in June of 2015. Yeah, we're really quite proud of this. And um, it, it was really the significance is this was sort of the first opportunity to have national-level validation from multiple different groups about the concept of translational and comparative oncology. And indeed, that was one of the biggest takeaways, was that collectively the group that attended, which 
were about 200 people in, in person in D.C. that attended this and then several hundred more. It's our understanding uh -huh. it was actually one of the best attended workshops they've ever had, held at the Nationals, uh, National Academies, which is wonderful. Yay. And, yeah, yay is right. Uh, the group identified three key areas to move this initiative forward. Um, the first, you know, Dr. Weishar was talking about the, the importance of targeted therapies. And a lot of that has to do with do we understand how our immune system, so when I say immune, I'm, I'm using that as a collective term. So regardless of what species you happen to be and whether you're a dog, a cat, a person, or what have you, but how does the immune system, what, what role does it play in terms of cancer and how can we actually manipulate that to have better targeted therapies? Um, and while you know, we know a lot about the human immune system and we have a little work, a little bit of catch up to do in terms of classifying the canine immune system. So that was one big area of focus going forward. The second is, and this also goes along with what she was saying with targeted therapies is, we really need to fully understand the genetic uh, signatures and the molecular signatures for any of these specific cancers. So we know a ton on the human side, but we need to learn more on the canine side and feline side, by the way, uh, to uh -huh. determine A, how similar they are, and B, how we can have better targeted therapies um, that not only can benefit our veterinary species, but also people. So number one, classify the the canine immune system first, because we think that's actually the most similar to people. Number two, identify and understand the genetic makeup of these veterinary tumors. And then number three, everybody was kind of scratching their heads because they said, Jesus is a really good idea and there's a huge amount of potential, but not many people know about this. So we need to have a massive educational and awareness campaign, and that's really where you're helping us out to take this one cure concept and help the general public to understand more about it which we are very happy to do. <laughs> so uh, we really, really appreciate your taking your time today to explain all of this to us because, um, you know, new people join us every single day and not everybody has had experience um, with cancer and pets. And so it's all brand new and it's, it's just really great information to, to get to our community. So thank you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, um, Dr. Hardy or, or Dr. Weishar? Um, how can people uh, join the One Cure efforts? How can they help get the word out um, in their own communities? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is that it's really going to take all of us to help to move forward towards a cure for cancer. You know, I, I doubt that there's anybody who's listening. Honestly, I doubt there's anybody who hasn't been affected in one way, shape, or form by cancer. So it takes all of us doing something. First thing people can do is to come and visit our website. So www.csuanimalcancercenter/onecure, and you that'll take you right to the web page where you can learn about the One Cure initiative itself. There are videos that are posted there. There's some information about this workshop that was held at the national level, and you know that's that's a great place to start. Uh, if you'd like to support the initiative, certainly we appreciate that as well. You know, probably the biggest thing is tell somebody about it. Let people understand. You know, all too often we hear pet owners who say, well, I got the diagnosis and I was told that there was no hope. And the reality is there's an awful lot we can do, even if we can't cure 
um, a tumor, even if it's something that's not fully manageable, there's always something we can do to help with the quality of life, and we can certainly help owners with decision-making from the time of diagnosis until, you know, maybe it's time to make a decision in the best interest of the pet to help them to pass. But there are lots of options out there, and there are a lot of good resources. So I would say come and visit our website and, and learn a little bit more about it as a first step. We will definitely make sure that um, we get the word out that way. We'll be um, posting links and sharing all over the place. So thank you both so much for being here. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us and for all that you're doing with the One Cure Initiative. Listeners can learn more about your efforts and ongoing clinical trials at csuanimalcancercenter.org slash onecure. We hope everyone will get involved by helping us spread the word about One Cure. Until next time, for support and resources about cancer and pets and amputation for dogs and cats, please visit the Tripods blogs, forums, live chat, and more at tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.